Well, good morning to everybody. It's great to have you here. Great to start our worship time with our kids. And uh, what a what a just a beautiful time of year, this season of Advent. And uh, I love the idea of us as a church family celebrating Advent together. So we're going to kick that off today, and then we'll just carry it through all the way through. Uh, the month of December. I want to invite you, if you would, to, to pull out your outline. If you, if you don't have it anywhere handy, just go ahead and get that. And I want to give you a little explanation. You can see there's a lot on there. We don't normally fill it up quite so much. But my hope is today that this will serve as a bit of a devotional for you over the month of December. Something that you can come back to again and again and again. There's several scripture references here, but just to, to immerse yourself in this idea of Advent. Now that word means coming or appearing, and certainly it refers to the first coming or appearing of Christ, and then it points our attention forward to a second coming, another appearing that has been promised to the church. So with those two things in mind, Advent is a time of preparation, now, we think of Christmas, and, and rightly so, we think about it more in terms of celebration. And that's a good thing. We need to celebrate Christmas. But what you do need to know is that for 2,000 years, the church has seen this time as a time of preparation, a time of self-examination, a time of reflection in light of Christ having come and him coming again. So this month, I, I want to ask you, and I'll challenge you again at the end of this message, to be very intentional about using this time, investing this time, to get your heart in alignment with the beautiful heart of God in this season. I love this statement about Advent. It kind of gets our minds right. It says, when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their fervent desire for his second coming. That's really the desired outcome of this season that we're in. Now, when the Bible speaks of the coming of Christ, both past and future, one of the words that's often used is the word mystery. Uh, in the Greek, it's mysterion. That's the name of our Advent series. And we're going to learn a lot about this word over the next few weeks. It's a fascinating word because it doesn't really convey in the English and in our own understanding what it really conveys biblically. We think of a mystery as sort of this, this kind of unknown secret thing, and, and that's what it is. But, but in the biblical sense... A mystery or mysterion is that which was hidden but, but is now revealed. So it's not a mystery in the sense that it's still unknown. It, it's, it's known, it's knowable, and it's our reflection upon that. That was the thing that the church was uh, stewarding, even thinking about uh, Jeff's mention of stewarding the truth. The truth is the mystery that which was hidden but is now revealed. And when I come across this word, I can't help but think about something that happened to my dad and myself several years ago. Um, 
I had a good friend of mine who kind of got into the hobby of ancestry research. How many of you guys are into that? Anybody do that? Okay. It's pretty fascinating, pretty, pretty interesting. And uh, so I went to him. I was kind of curious. I said, hey, would you, would you be interested or willing to do a little research on my family? And he said, sure, I'd, I'd be glad to, but, but let me give you one caution. Sometimes you find out things that you're not real crazy about. He said, you know, it's funny, when, when it comes to family, some people aren't real happy about what they learn about what they didn't know. So I just sort of was like, oh yeah, I'm sure that happens to everybody else. Uh, yeah, go for it, that'd be great. So a few weeks went by and he comes back and I'm telling you, he had a pile of paper, history about my family. And I was glad to know that some of my family roots kind of weave their way back to the clans of Scotland. <laughs> it's pretty exciting for me. I'm not related to William Wallace, but I'm sure we're close. <laughs> I did learn something, though, about my father that forever changed his life. It turns out that my dad's dad had an entirely other family prior to his, his own family. He was married, 13 kids. I believe it was in another state. My dad never knew about them, and they never knew about my dad and his family. You can imagine that was a little bit of a shock. I went to my dad and I broke the news to him and wasn't sure how he would respond. And at the time, um, his father and mother and his only sibling had all uh, died uh, previously. So, in my dad's mind, he was the only one from his family of origin in all of the world. Imagine what it was like to learn that he had 13 siblings he never knew anything about. He honestly was excited out of his mind for a lot of reasons. It, it, it was like he felt like he wasn't alone in the world anymore. But I think more than that, what he would talk about is that he got this brand new, wide open window into his dad's life that he never knew existed. And so he jumped in, he connected with them, and uh, some of those siblings became some of his dearest friends and uh, are still to this day. That's a little bit of a picture of mystery, this biblical word mystery. Here's how Paul speaks about it in Romans 16. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of of faith. So that's where we get this idea of something being formally hidden by God and then revealed through a number of circumstances, through writings, and certainly through the person of Christ. Christ is actually referred to as the mystery. Colossians 2, 
2 through 3. And it's, it's funny. Paul said he longed for those in the church to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Christ is the, the mystery in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when we think about this word mystery, we think that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are bound up in Christ and his coming. The redemptive plan of God is, is absolutely dependent upon those two comings. And there is a revelation, there is a revealing of God's heart and his plans, his purposes, simply by the fact that he did come and will come. That, that is the essence of our faith. We believe in a God who made promises and then fulfilled those in the person of Christ. Now it's interesting, these promises, these, this mystery that we're talking about was hidden in plain sight, concealed in the prophecies of Old Testament scripture. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So there is this unfolding plan of God, and that's, that's a lot of what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is thinking about this unfolding plan, this unfolding revelation of the mystery that is Christ in his coming past and his coming future. Those things that were unknown, that were hidden but now revealed, were revealed in the arrival and the activity of Christ. Isn't it amazing how we read our New Testament and if we do it thoughtfully and carefully and we read back into the Old Testament, all of a sudden there's a lot that was unclear that becomes clear because we see how perfectly this one man in all of history fulfilled all that was anticipated in the Old Testament. Now what we learn in the New Testament of our Bibles is that the mystery revealed in Christ is to be declared and displayed throughout all of creation according to the wise purposes of God. Listen to Ephesians 3, 8 through 12. And this kind of serves as our uh, series passage. This is one that you could come back to again and again as you think about this idea of mystery. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Let me highlight a couple of passages in there. And the big idea is that this that the revelation of the mystery is ongoing. It, it didn't just simply happen when Christ arrived dead, buried, resurrected, and it's done. But actually, this mystery continues. There's an aspect of that which was hidden and now revealed is continuing to be revealed through the church. Notice Paul says that he was assigned to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, a couple of things there. First of all, this preaching is an activity of revealing. So there's a sense in which, although God has put everything on full display and preserved it in the scriptures, there, there's plenty of people around the world, right, that we would go to and we'd say, hey, do you, have you ever heard of a guy named Jesus? And they would look at you like, not really. Who, who are you talking about? Is that a relative of yours or a friend or what, what are you talking about? So there's a sense in which this revelation is ongoing through the church as we preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Secondly, he talks about bringing to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. So there is something very important about us speaking of God's redemptive plan and explaining what that is. That says everything about God and about us and about our world and why it is the way it is and why it will be the way it will be, all of those answers are tied up in that which is being revealed. This is interesting. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Um, Mankind has come up with all kinds of descriptions and stories and mythology and everything about some kind of supreme beings or gods or, or whatever. And it's interesting to look at all of those side by side and next to uh, the God of the Bible. And it's interesting that he stands completely far and apart from everything else. He is unlike any conception that we might have of a God, of a supreme being, of a spiritual force of some kind. And in the midst of that is a wisdom that we can grasp in a limited way but far surpasses anything that we could fully understand. It's marvelous. It's magnificent. It's stunning. And then finally, I love this, um, that this mystery being revealed was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Part of the reason that we can confidently speak of the reliability of Scripture is because we have seen it again and again and again fulfill exactly what it said. So you have Old Testament prophets speaking of a coming Messiah and talking about this redemptive plan that's unfolding and sure enough, it's happened exactly like it, we expected it. Uh, one little interesting thing to notice is that um, God's plan to reveal the mystery includes angels. Did you know that? Did you know that God didn't 
set out to reveal his plans and wisdom directly to the angels, but he uses the church. You are actually God's instrument for informing the angels, the angelic rulers, of what God has been doing in all of history. That's pretty wild. That's a pretty important stewardship that we have in being a part of God's plan. So in light of Ephesians 3, here's our problem, as far as I can tell. We think far too much of our perception of that which is unsearchable. We're pretty comfortable knowing a few things and thinking that 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 represents all things. But Paul speaks of that which is unsearchable. We also think far too little of God's eternal purposes that he has realized and revealed in the person of Christ. I want you to think about this idea of God having a plan and that plan being worked out. And I I realize I'm asking you to think pretty carefully this morning, but I think this is what Advent is all about. It's us pausing and pushing aside all that distracts us and consumes our attention and thinking about things that really matter, that are eternal and significant. So let's think about God's plan. Think about this. It had to be conceived. In eternity past, before the foundations of the world, God had to decide, I'm going to do something. He had to to put that together in his own mind and define it. Then it had to be initiated. It had to be set in motion. And he did this with a word. When he called all things into being, he set his plan in motion. It had to be orchestrated. Just think about this for a minute, how God intertwines his will with our will giving us responsibility and yet never in any way allowing his plan to be thwarted by our choices. Like, just think about that for a minute. Blows me away. Then his plan had to be fulfilled, and certainly it has been in part, but it is still ongoing. There are promises that he has made that haven't yet been fulfilled, but will be. If you look at the stats on Old Testament prophecy, just a few of them being fulfilled in the person of Christ, it's staggering. Our minds just don't even have room for those kinds of numbers. God's plan had to be verified. Virgin birth, signs and wonders, the resurrection, historical realities that verify the supernatural activity of God, all of which was embedded in the wise, eternal purposes of God. Lastly, this plan had to be preserved. Certainly, it was carried along by oral tradition for, the, for a long time, but our Old Testament's about 3,500 years old, and our New Testament about 2,000 years old. And God, in His providence, preserved th- that revelation so that we might understand his eternal plans. We desperately need to think long and hard about the redemptive plans of God. If we don't get that, then we really don't get life. Because your life and mine, it isn't about us. It's about his plan. 
And the better we get that, the more we can align our lives with his plan and be about things that, that do matter for more than just today or tomorrow. So for the next several weeks, we're going to bring to light the manifold wisdom of God as we think about his unfolding plan. Today, we're going to talk about the omnipotent creator. We're going to think about this one that came and is coming as creator and that he is virtuous, not corrupt, like all of the other man-made gods that we learned about as we went through school. In week two, we're going to talk about the seed of salvation who was zealously promised. And when I say zealously, think about it. Right after the fall, when mankind rejects God and goes his own way and ushers in death to a perfect creation, God makes a promise. He says, I am going to establish a seed and that seed is going to change everything. We'll talk about that in week two. In week three, we're going to talk about our magnificent king. We're going to look at a king in the Old Testament, King David, who was a type of the king who would come. And we're going to see that he literally owns everything. He is truly magnificent. And yet he is also benevolent, unlike all of the other rulers in our world. And then lastly... On Christmas Eve, we'll talk about our sacred substitute who left glory and was born in humility as a baby, a fragile child in a broken and sin-wrecked world, but one who came so that this world could be changed forever. In every way, Jesus is not what we expected but so much more than we could ever ask for, isn't he? So let's look at the mystery of Christ as creator. Two key passages, I put these in your outline. I'm going to read them and then uh, make a couple of comments about what these tell us about the mystery. John 1, 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good, good news. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He, that is Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent, first, supreme. Now with those two passages in mind, and 
the fact that Jesus was a historical figure, here's where we might struggle, and certainly here's where the world struggles. See, we don't have a problem thinking about Jesus as a human, as a person, like us. What we have a problem with is thinking about Jesus as God. Certainly the world questions that. Jesus claimed it, we believe it, but, but that is the that's the crux of the matter when we start thinking about what sets Jesus apart from anybody else in the world in all of history. So John and Paul go to great lengths to emphasize the deity of Christ. I'm going to give you some key words this morning, and this is where you could spend some devotional time reflecting upon the mystery. The first mystery is he's God, the creator, the one who made everything. He's the deity. He is fully God and fully man. That's sort of hard to wrap our mind about. How does that happen? There's been nothing like it. They say that the word was God. The word referencing Christ. Someone could try and twist that and say, well, that's not, the refer- that's not a reference to Jesus. But, well, if the gospel of John is about Jesus and the opening statement is about somebody, someone called the word, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that that's Jesus. And apparently Jesus was not only with God, he was God. Paul talks about him being the image of the invisible God. And this is not like in Genesis when it talks about men and women being made in the image of God or likeness so that there's something about you that reminds us of our creator. No, this is, this is a different idea. This is a precise likeness in essence. Jesus himself says in John 14, 9, he who has seen me, has seen the Father. So the first part of this mystery is that Christ is fully God and fully man. Twice John tells us that the word was with God. So that creates another interesting challenge. The the idea of Trinity. If Jesus was with God, then who was he with? Well, he was with the Father. And though the Spirit isn't mentioned here, that's part of the Trinity. We see the Spirit mentioned again and again in the Scriptures. So we have a God. Now listen, I'm just trying to help you think carefully, deeply, broadly about your faith. We have a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally God, and yet distinct in their persons and their functions. There's no other religion like that in the world. There's no other presentation of God that is like that in all of the world. But that is what's said to be true of our God. That is what's said to be true of the mystery that was once hidden and has now been revealed. We learn that Jesus was present in the beginning and that he served as the creator of all things. Now, both of these realities speak to the pre-existence of Christ. Once again, <laughs> we say these words, you know, and it's like, you know, two plus two is four, but think about pre-existence. Like before anything existed, God existed in whatever that was before everything existed. You see what I'm saying? Like we get into deep waters really fast. 
Before anything existed, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect unity put together a plan to make all that was made. And Jesus was the architect. You can kind of see why Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, That feels pretty unsearchable to me. Great to think about, but certainly fuel for worship, for adoration, for praise, for wonder in my own heart and mind. If you struggle to worship, spend a little time thinking in these ways and see if that ignites your heart. John and Paul both explicitly declare Jesus as the one through whom all things without exception were made. But then he goes a step further and says, he is the one in whom all things hold together. Okay, (laughs) think about every molecule in the universe. What holds all that together? The mystery. The one who is hidden but has now been revealed. The one who came and will come again. In him, all things, every molecule in your body holds together. Lastly, though we could, we could go on forever and ever. Jesus is said to be before all things, the head of the body of the church, the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent. He is supreme. He is without rival. He is above and over everything and everyone. And isn't that reassuring to you? To know that you worship a God who really is in control, though we live in a world that seems out of control. Circumstances that can terrorize us, and yet there is a God who is carrying history to the exact destination of his plan. And we will get there just as he intends. So all of these attributes, the deity of Christ, the trinity Christ's pre-existence, his preeminence, all of these speak to another word that I'm sure you've heard before, but it speaks to the omnipotence of Christ. He is all-powerful, and that's an important part of this plan. If it is to arrive at God's destination, he needs to be powerful enough to bring it there. But when I think about Christ being all-powerful, and I think about my experience of power, both in reading history and then just seeing it in the world around me, it can raise some fear. I want you to finish a phrase for me. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. See, that's our experience of power in this broken and sin-wrecked world. And yet we're told in our Bible that we have a creator God who is all-powerful. So we got a little bit of a dilemma. Has he been corrupted absolutely by having absolute power? Absolutely not. In fact, that's what sets him apart 
from everything. He is virtuous in every way. Though he does possess absolute power, he defies the selfish, the selfish nature of man-made gods. He doesn't use his power simply for his own purposes, although his glory is his objective. He uses his power for humanity, to do for humanity what we could never do for ourselves. We know this because of the advent, the arrival of Jesus. That was how God chose to use his power. To defy all of the laws of the universe that he set in place. He broke through all of that. And as John says, he took on flesh and dwelt among us. That was how he chose to use his power for our good. And we'll continue to explore all of the implications and realities of that in the weeks ahead. But I want to ask you to, to think carefully about this God that you worship and what he is truly like. Not what you have conceived him to be, not even what you want him to be, but how he has presented himself in the revelation of his word. I want to offer you guys a challenge during the season of Advent, this season of preparation that we're in. I want to challenge you to invest at least 10 minutes every day reading specifically about the person and the purposes of Christ. Sounds simple, but I can promise you it will never happen unless you decide to do it. And there's so many resources, there are all kinds of possibilities, there's great books and videos, it doesn't matter what it is, but I, I'm going to do this for me, because I need to do it for me. I want to challenge you to do it for you, to just in this month, in this little blip of your life, to just say every day, I am going to devote my attention to the person and the purposes of Christ. And I'm going to ask the Lord to do a work in me that cannot be done any other way. And then let's see what God does. J.I. Packer uh, writes this in the book, Knowing God. God the creator is transcendent, mysterious, and inscrutable. Beyond the range of any imagining or philosophical guesswork of which we are capable and hence a summons to us to humble ourselves, to listen and learn of him, and to let him teach us what he is like and how we should think of him. That is our aim in this incredible season of preparation called Advent. Take a minute, if you would, and... Uh, Perhaps there's something that we've talked about this morning, a, a word, an attribute, a characteristic or something that the Holy Spirit prompted in you to get your attention as we enter into this season. So just take a moment, ask the question, so what? What difference does this make 
the stuff that we've talked about this morning, these uh, descriptions of the mystery that is Christ. Think carefully and tangibly about the difference that that makes in your life.